bum bum bottom 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 bum bum You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. This month we're exploring romances beyond the heteronormative and we're applying Stan Tatkin's Wired for Dating to their relationship woes. For today, we're going straight to hell to witness the darkest depths of superhero romance in Midnighter and Apollo. Second try, Lisa. You got it. What? What? I'm a podcasting diva. <laughs> you know, I find myself anticipating the, I'm Brad Gullickson, every time you do that uh, intro. That's like my favorite part of the whole episode. The, the favorite part of the whole episode is when you specifically get to talk about yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm Brad Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. I'm... Brad Gullickson. So you try to vary it up? I haven't even noticed. I do try to vary it up, but I feel like I always land on the same, I'm Brad Gullickson. No, hold on. I'm Brad Gullickson. I can't wait until we get some real fans. I mean, hardcore fans, so they can super cut every time you've said, I'm Brad Gullickson. Make it a ringtone. I'm Brad Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. <laughs> I'm Brad Gullickson. That should be your ringtone, and you get like the little like... A boost of endorphins every time you hear your own name. Oh, I in your do, own voice. I do get a boost of endorphins hearing my own name, just <laughs> saying it myself. When you're not in this apartment, I'm just wandering around the halls saying, "I'm Brad Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson." Oh my gosh! Sometimes I think about like if someone like put a recorder in my car and could hear the things I say to myself when All I the feel hateful stuff. Truly alone, exactly. <laughs> I would. Um, they would be deeply concerned for me. Well, I've uh, been having an issue this, I would say past week, but I'd say this past lifetime. And I think a lot of people suffer from this when you're in the car, somebody cuts you off or maybe doesn't even cut you off, but comes a little too close to your car or just doesn't do something that you deem worthy in uh, to a, be a on road, the road situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I find myself cursing at them, calling them an MF or, or, yeah. or worse. And Lisa of late has been challenging me every time I've cursed out uh, a road person or if I've, or anytime I've experienced some form of uh, road rage flare up. Yeah. Well, it's, it's because of two reasons. So, um, fairly close together, like within like a year or, or, or two, Brad and I have both gotten into really, spastic and random car accidents. Yeah, the last two years. That have totaled two cars. Yeah, we've lost two cars in two years. Two uh, separate accidents, obviously. (laughs) And, um, like, for me, it's created a lot of driving anxiety, but I have always been a terrible driver. Like, I'm just, I'm not good at it. I'm not confident. I tend to be on the super slow side. So I don't I've, like you saying that, and we've discussed this, but I know. You, you kind of have created this narrative that you're a bad driver. I've driven with you. You're not a terrible driver. Th- this is a scientific fact that can be commodified. I've bumped into way more stuff than you. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it's all been stuff and not human beings. But anyway, like... 
So when I hear Brad swearing at another driver, even just to himself, it makes me think like, well, that is what everybody is doing to me when they see me drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so one, I don't want to, I would never want to uh, express my rage to my wife in such a fashion. So I need to cool it. And two, I, you know, I talk this talk of empathy and, you know, passionate, uh, connection with our fellow humans. That's what I strive for. But when I get in that car, I, you know, I'm, I'm unleashing a torrent of anger and, uh, yeah, that's not cool. And you got to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk, Brad. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, as people talk about, oh, you know, we live in such a, like a politically correct time or whatever, which I love because if we're being politically correct, that means that's just shorthand for actually being compassionate towards others. Right. And, we're and social justice warriors because we love society, we love justice, and we love being a warrior. <laughs> Hell to the yes. Who wouldn't want to be a social justice warrior? But I've been thinking about like things that I still have to excise from my speech. Like, and this is one... I've been catching myself saying a lot that sounds super uncompassionate and horrible, um, but mentioning casually, like when I'm angry at someone, um, wishing them to either be in an accident or to take their own life. Now, you use the phrase, go kill yourself. Yeah, I say that way too much. Hey, Brad, where are the Samoas that were in the freezer? Oh, I'm sorry, Lisa. <laughs> I just ate all of them when you were at work. Oh, Brad, go kill yourself. I say Aww. that a lot. And I also refer to me taking my own life a lot, which is like, you know, like I'll say things like um, roll myself into traffic is something I like to say to myself, which is horrible. So, like, that's something that I... I still find myself struggling to take out of my speech, just be more like, cause I've, you know, I've talked very openly about like, you know, my experience with mental illness and, and all of that and that kind of stuff. And I know that like that idea is something where it's just like, um, like, it's like, I don't feel that way anymore, but at the same time there is like, a button in my no, a button in my brain that I push that says like I'm in a right. stressful situation. So you're going to take and say this thing suicidal language out of your dialogue. I'm I'm working on it. I'm not saying that I will not mess it up, but I like that is an area in my life where I want to be better. And I want to be better in the car. I want to cease with calling people mfers and idiots and dummies and just all this angry negative language. It's just not good for me and it's certainly not good for anybody else. So, yeah. Yay. Yeah. I didn't know we Bec- were going to talk about becoming that. Becoming bigger and better people, hopefully. But let's get on to the topic at hand. As Lisa mentioned at the top of the show, we're discussing Midnighter and Apollo. Um, yeah. Uh Before reading this comic collection, neither Lisa or I had ever read a Midnighter or Apollo comic book before. Correct, Lisa? Yeah, not specifically. I think we've read books that have had Midnighter and Apollo in them. We read The Authority as part of our Ultimate Justice League of Graphic Novel Book Club. Of Extraordinary Graphic Novel Book Club. I hate to correct you. I love to correct you. (laughs) I know you do. Uh, Go kill yourself. (laughs) Not funny. Not funny. Not funny. Not funny. Brad, you're a jerk. Um, But yes, this is the first time we've ever really delved into their world. And as such, I found it to be perplexing. Yeah. I I started this book yesterday. Yeah. And, um, and it was a, 
like in the middle of my work day. So I was between going to work and coming home and then going back to work. And so I found myself feeling very like resentful towards how much I did not understand what was going on. Yeah, so technically it takes place within the DC universe of comics. There are references to Superman and the Red Lanterns, but it sure as hell doesn't feel like it otherwise. Uh, and well, and in doing my research, I discovered that a few of the villains are quote unquote classic DC villains. Okay, um, but I had never really encountered them. I well, I guess I had I had read the the Mazer, the the demon from hell who loves guns. Yeah, he originally appeared in Garth Ennis's uh, comic book series Hitman. Which okay, was, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and he's a, he's a very preacher, Garth Ennisy type of character. Yeah. And um, Neron, the yeah. demon from hell, uh, was created by uh, Howard Porter and Mark Wade uh, back in the 80s, uh, but looks very different than what he does in Midnight or in Apollo. I did not see the point of that guy existing, because like they're already in hell. Like, What's Lucifer up to? Who, well, Neron seems to be uh, running let's things. Not jump, let's not jump ahead to oh, that okay. character. Sorry. I disagree with you a little bit. What, what? Um, but yeah, so, okay. This week, we're discussing the Midnighter and Apollo six-issue miniseries that was written by Steve Orlando and illustrated by Fernando Blanco. And it was published by DC in a single-issue format through October 2016 to March 2017. Apparently, Orlando wrote a Midnighter series as part of the New 52 rebrand that took place before this one, but when that line ended and the new Rebirth relaunch occurred, it was canceled and Midnighter and Apollo took its place. But it's basically a continuation of that story. Kind of wish I had read that. Whatever. You can't read everything. <laughs> What's interesting is that both of these characters started life in the Stormwatch comic book series when it was being published by Jim Lee's Wildstorm imprint when it was still part of Image Comics. When Lee sold Wildstorm to DC Comics and then eventually you know, positioned himself as DC co-publisher of entertainment, all their characters fell under the DC Universe umbrella. So that's Wildcats, Stormwatch, The Authority, Midnighter, and Apollo. They can now be a part of the same universe and hang out with Superman and the rest of the Justice League. I really appreciate how Apollo's origins relate to Superman, this idea that, you know, he was being tried, he, he was being recreated in the likeness of Superman. Right, yeah, yeah, I think that's sort of interesting. And, you know, I mean, it fits because, you know, Midnighter and Apollo were specifically created by writer Warren Ellis and artist Brian Hitch. And they were described as a gay parallel to Batman and Superman. Although Ellis himself once referred to Midnighter uh, as the shadow by what way of John Woo. <laughs> That's fun. And I, yeah, I, I like that description a lot. Um, you know, the, the comic is all very macho, macho type of stuff with the exception that they love each other deeply. I think that their love is very macho. Uh, um, well... You mean because, like, they get together, they fight, they beat on bad guys, and then they head to the bedroom and pound each other? Really, really passionate love, I assume. But I don't think that's any different than, you know, what we see with Batman and Catwoman. Yeah. Uh, when they go out crime fighting, they get all hot and bothered, and then they hit the Batcave and then hit the sheets. Yeah, I, I find Batman and Catwoman's love very macho. Okay, okay, if then there you go. I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, we need to talk about Dr. Stan Tatkin and how we're going to use his book, Wired for Dating, 
because he is such a wizard of dating, Lisa. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're using him as our guru to apply to the relationship of Midnighter and Apollo. And I'm kind of curious how you're going to do that this week. Last week, you were talking about the fog of infatuation as how it related to uh, Elle and Mari in Bingo Love. Right. Um, there's no real fog of infatuation here with Midnighter and Apollo. They're uh, almost like an old married couple by this point. Yeah, Midnighter and Apollo are in a more established relationship. They are out of the fog of infatuation and they are striving towards secure and functioning. So there's still plenty we can apply in Wired for Dating to their relationship. So to review who Stan Tatkin is for any Midnighter and Apollo fans who have just jumped on board to the podcast, welcome. Dr. Stan Tatkin is the author of Wired for Dating and Wired for Love. He takes what he calls a psychobiological approach to relationship counseling in which he marries the sciences of psychology and biology to make to help people love each other better and longer and more fulfilling mm-hmm. right? And, and three weeks in, we're becoming fans of uh, Stan Katkin's uh, Wired for Dating. We are. We're really, really digging on this particular love expert. Yeah, it feels good to like what's being said from the guru, uh, you know. It's a nice change. It's a nice change of pace. <laughs> change we of keep pace. saying that, and we're going to get off that, but I guess, I guess John Gray made us bitter. He did. He really, really did. Um, so... The thing that really made me fall in love with Dr. Stan Tatkin is that right in the introduction of Wired for Dating, he lays out that his approach to dating is meant for any two people who are looking for a committed relationship, gay, straight, bisexual, asexual. His approach is non-gendered and science-based. So last week we were talking a lot about neurology and how our neural chemicals influence when we're getting to know someone we're attracted to, but since Midnighter and Apollo are have known each other a long time and have had a romantic relationship that has been on and off, apparently they have just gone through a breakup and they have just reunited, we're going to be talking more about how Dr. Stan Tatkin uses attachment theory. So when I think about attachment theory, I think about the experiment with the Reese's monkeys and the wire mother and the cloth mother. Did you ever yeah, do you remember yeah, studying this yeah. in psychology 101? For sure. Yeah. So um, Dr. Stan Tatkin, I always refer to him by like his full name. I don't know why I do that. You don't just call him Stanny. I don't call him Stanny. I don't call him Dr. T. Oh, Dr. T would be uh, you good. You like that? I, if you know, I, if I was a doctor, I'd be Dr. G. I'd be happy with that. Ooh, that that does sound nice. So what's Doc T got to say? So he does talk about the experiment with the Reese's monkeys. And um, so it's like they were really cruel ex- experiments done to really, really cute baby yeah. monkeys where um, they separated the rhesus monkeys from their biological mother and they put them in a cage with a mother made out of wire and pointy bits but was the source of the baby's food and a mother made out of cloth to see if babies bond with their mother because they're a food source or because babies or do babies bond with their mother because they are comforting and so that experiment proved that the rhesus monkey would bond more with the cloth mother that it could hug and hold and look at in a comforting way mm-hmm. more than the wire mother 
that would be their source for food. Another interesting experiment that Dr. Tatkin talks about in the book that I, I don't know if I just don't remember or if I hadn't heard before, but they also had a mother where the baby would bond with it and love it, but then it would randomly just throw the baby. Oh, I don't remember that. So then the baby would try to, instead <laughs> of the baby going like, I don't love you anymore, the baby would continue to go back to that abusive mother oh, and try to comfort it and hold it and go like, you still love me, right? You uh, still love me, right? Awful, so attachment, awful, awful. <laughs> So attachment theory is the study of how we bond with our with our parents, with our friends, and with our lovers. So the aim of attachment is always to be in what's called a secure and functioning relationship. So I talked a little bit about what secure and functioning is in Bloom when we talked about how Ari, when he allowed his friends to make fun of Hector. Hector felt right. insecure and he felt like maybe I could not be in a relationship with Ari because he's not protecting me in, in this way. Um, but I'm just going to review what the principles of secure and functioning are so we can see how they relate to Midnighter and Apollo. So a secure and functioning relationship is a relationship with the following characteristics. I'm reading these directly from the book. Um, so they are security. We protect each other. Sensitivity, we are aware of each other's needs. Justice and fairness, we quickly repair any hurts that occur. Collaboration, we're in this together. And true mutuality, what is good for me is good for you. So um, when a relationship is secure and, and functioning, it creates what Dr. Tatkin calls the couple bubble. So the couple bubble is an implicit agreement that the relationship is going to come before all other things so that each person feels protected mutually by the other. When you're dating, part of your vetting and figuring out if someone is the right couple for you is figuring out if that person has the same values when it comes to creating a couple bubble. So um, on page 112, Dr. Tatkin lists some questions that you can casually weave into conversation uh -oh. to figure out if the person you're dating would have the same couple bubble values as you. So here are, are the questions. Are these the questions that you were asking me in bed the other night? No, that relates to the three types of attachment. Oh, okay. Um, which I'm not going to go into, but he talks about like the three types of attachment are influenced. How you attach to somebody is very much influenced it by how you're raised. These are new questions so these that are, you're springing on me. These are different questions. <laughs> I think we have a really strong couple bubble, but this isn't really a quiz. Like I couldn't really ask you this right now. Oh, thank God. <laughs> But the, it is something to think about. So, so here are the questions you can use to figure out if you and your potential partner can create a couple bubble together. So here they are. This is on page 112. Oh, no! I just closed my iBooks. Okay, no, it's back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you feel safe and secure? What makes each of you feel unsafe and insecure? How would each of you handle situations that might threaten your security? What guarantees, for example, I will never leave you, 
our relationship will always come first. Does each of you want in a relationship? And that's the last one. So I don't know how, um, in the book, uh, Dr. T always uh, refers to vetting your potential partner as Sherlocking, which I find (laughs) so cutesy Uh and I cannot stand it. So that's one criticism. I, I think that I like it. I the like idea it. Of I find it a little erotic, Lisa. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to Sherlock you. <laughs> um, but I'm sure he's not intending that you just ask these questions like straight out. But I'm sure like once you've been out for a while, you can see what things may cause a flare up in your partner, an emotional flare up or uh, an instant of like hurt feelings. Driving, swearing at people, <laughs> that kind of thing, Lisa. But, but also, um, you think about, like me, I have a lot of social anxiety. So when we go into a place I may be less familiar with or where I'm going to have to do a lot of socializing. Well, this weekend we're heading to Winchester, Virginia for the Lost Weekend Film Festival. A lot right. of socializing there, Lisa. Right. Are you ready? But there is an implicit agreement in our relationship, at least I think there is, that Brad checks on me, checks in on me every once in a while to just make sure I'm <laughs> feeling comfortable yeah. and talking with other people. Yeah, we check in with each other. I'd say, that, I mean, I guess, yes, I agree that when we go to a party or a festival or something along those lines, I am not allowed to abandon you. For any extended amount for, of time. Right, right, right. And and nor, nor would I want to do that. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think we do a good job of checking in on each other, I would actually say, Lisa. Yeah. So Tatkin does list some of his couple bubble agreements that he has his wife, he has with his wife, Tracy, which I think are really... Really strong, and and I and I think that we do also apply to our relationship. So, um, first, they are each other's primary go-to people. So, if one of us has an issue, we go to each other first before going to anybody else. Exactly. Yeah, that's. I think that's true for me. Is that that's true for you? Absolutely true. Yeah. And we tend to check in with each other. Like I have certain things that I like to talk to my mom about. Where, um, so I will tell yeah. Brad, okay, I'm having this issue. We've talked it out. I still feel like I need some more support. So I will call my mom. So I'm calling my mom. And you'll do the same thing with your dad. That's true. In early on in our relationship, that used to bother me because right. I felt like, well, no, Lisa, we talked it out. I solved the problem for you. <laughs> you don't need to go to your mom and have her say the same things that I would say. And sometimes I would be really irritated because I felt like, you would adhere to her advice, which sounded a lot like my advice, before you would adhere to what I said yeah, you, previously. You Does would, that make sense? Yeah, no, you would see my, like, reaching out to my mom as discounting of what you said, where really it's just like, I just need a different kind of comforting, or I, I still have, like, feels that I need to express, and I've clearly exhausted you, I don't know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, and you do, like I said, you do, there are certain issues that you like to go to your dad for. True, true, for sure, for sure. And you going to your mom doesn't bother me like it once did. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, also, they are available to each other 24-7, which is has been in our relationship harder to do, particularly when you were still working retail. 
Because you weren't really allowed to like be on your phone and check your phone frequently. Uh, but I would say that I was always available to you if need be. Right. But maybe. It was less like not for every little thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not for every little thing, I guess. You know. Yeah. Okay. But we do have our phones on. We have an expectation that, you you know, we get back to each other in a reasonable amount of time. Right. But if I'm in a movie, I put the do not disturb function on. So do I. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also, but, and, and also, like, if you're traveling, there's an expectation of we will talk to each other before bed and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get annoyed if I do not get a call. That is true. Although this makes it sound like we're two incredibly needy individuals. I I think that um like the idea of co- codependency is like a dirty word. But like if you're in a codependent but maybe accurate when it comes to Brad and Lisa. <laughs> well, I think in a secure and functioning relationship there is a sense of mutuality. So I think like a codependent relationship would be someone depending on another person to the detriment of themselves or to the detriment of the other person. Mm -hmm. Where I think in our relationship, hopefully, we have true mutuality, where the dependency is on on each other to the degree where it raises the other person up and there isn't any kind of resentment of who's holding the spoon. And you do see that in this comic, Midnighter and Apollo. Right. Oh, absolutely. They depend on each other and an, and will go yeah. to the ends of hell and back for right, each other. Right. And I think that that's really important, especially considering how their couple bubble has been recently broken because they have some ideological differences that have created trouble in the past. Um, and the, the last of uh, Tatkin's agreements with his wife, Tracy, to maintain their couple bubble, is that they tell each other the truth in a timely manner. I like that phrasing of it, in a timely manner, because not everybody is capable, and it's not in everybody's best interest to tell each other the truth immediately and completely, but if you're in a situation where you might be hiding something to protect feeling, to protect your own feelings or protect the other person's feelings, that the truth does come out appropriately at at the right time. Sure, and we've talked about that in previous episodes when discussing Marco and Alana from Saga or Scott Summers' Emma Frost and Jean Grey from New X-Men. Right, like, so I can't just casually hide the um, the the idea that I ha- I'm, like, making love to another dude in his head or... Um, Having a secret drug dependency. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's different when it comes to... It would destroy our bubble. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's a a difference between Lisa has sexy thoughts about Channing Tatum versus Scott Summers is having a psychic affair with Emma Frost behind closed mental doors and Jean Grey's on the other side. (laughs) There's a difference there. Oh, big... have we talked about how you and your dad debated that idea? Yes. Uh, on the podcast? Oh, I don't know if we've discussed it on the podcast. Well, because dad didn't agree because dad doesn't understand X-Men mutation and superpowers that a psychic affair between Scott Summers and Emma Frost is just as powerful and intimate as a physical affair because of 
Emma's mutation. Dad doesn't understand that, so he thinks of it as Lisa's just having thoughts of sexy Channing Tatum, and that's fine. <laughs> Dad's having sexy thoughts about Meg Ryan from Sleepless in Seattle era all the time. I know it. <laughs> Fun. Okay, on that note, let's get into the thick of it with Midnighter and Apollo, this six-issue miniseries from DC Comics. Lisa, give us a rundown. What's the basic plot? The basic plot is Midnighter and Apollo are back together. They're fighting crime together. It feels great, but then um, an old nemesis with some dark history with each of these characters. Yeah, Mr. Bendix. Mr. I feel like he's like a doctor. No, he's he, Dr. Bendix. Yeah, well, he's also known as the weatherman, Lisa, even though they don't uh, refer to him that in this comic. He also started life in the Wildstorm universe with the Stormwatch series. Fun. Thank you for the background, You're sweetie. You're welcome. Um, he's got me. Um, so Dr. Bendix comes up with this evil plan to... Trap Midnighter, so as Apollo goes up against Mazir, the demon from the Hitman series created by Garth Ennis. So Bendix is like, I've got you, Midnighter. Apollo is in peril, and you can't just teleport out of here. I've created this gauntlet you have to go through to get to your man. So great splash page. Yeah, those so two pages. I like I like how he comes up with this whole gauntlet and he's like, gauntlet, huh? I'll do it in two pages. Yeah, but w- what's going on in that gauntlet? There's eagles with machine guns on their backs. It's it's pretty nutty. That Mr. Bendix, Bendix pretty clever. Yeah, clever and whimsical. <laughs> so, um Midnighter f- gets f- punches some eagles, gets through the gauntlet, um but he's too late. Apollo is laying lifeless and gorgeous. Yeah, super sexy. And so um, Midnighter is like, well, this this could not possibly be over. So I'm going to figure out, like, we still got Apollo's body. We'll throw that on ice. And then not I- ice. It's like he puts it on this slab and he's being irradiated by... Um, Sun. Yeah, solar power. So the power. opposite of ice. I was using putting him on He's, ice like as an expression. I, I understand that, Lisa, but I wanted to explain how I loved this giant tanning bed room that he puts Apollo's body in. You notice when Brad does the plot synopsis, I let him do the whole thing. No interruptions. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I get excited. I get excited. I'm just excited to talk comics. So, um, Apollo, no. Midnighter goes to Gregorio, his magic friend, and also fellow queer, so, so nice, such as a supportive network. Um, so he goes to him, he's like, where's my lover's soul? He's like, oh my God, this is awkward, but he his soul is in hell. And um, Midnighter's like, no biggie. So um, Gregorio gives him a bunch of stuff to get him into hell. But one of the things is he's got this spell that makes him able to fight demons, but he can only be at full power for seven minutes. And after seven minutes, he'll die in horrible agony. And when he's in hell, the computer chip that's in his brain- Yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. So he doesn't have full access to the fighting skills that he normally uses up on Earth. But he's still, uh, his rudimentary fighting skills, still pretty great. Well, yeah, because I think, you know, it's it's all- um, what do you call it? Muscle uh, memory. Muscle memory. Yeah, yeah, muscle yeah. memory. So Midnighter 
goes to hell. Meanwhile, Apollo is having this like match of wits against Neuron, who's like this demon that runs hell. You can give the background on Neuron if you want. Well, I, I really don't know it. Like I said, uh, created by Howard Porter and Mark Wade. He's a demon. Uh, apparently, he has kicked Satan off his throne, and he's ruling hell at this point. Okay, change of management. So he has that moment in the comic where he tells Apollo, look, all your people on Earth are scared of big bad Satan, but he's no big deal. I took care of the Morning Star already. I'm I'm the nightmare of your nightmares. So Neron is laying out... Apollo's sins before him, pride, lust, blah 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 the usual stuff. And um, Apollo's like, hey, I'm going to ask you one question. We'll get, to, we'll get into this in our actual discussion. So long story short, Midnighter gets to Neuron, punches his face real hard. <laughs> Turns out Apollo had been freed by Neuron, but hell is like really big. So he's just kind of like flying around, floating around. And um, so he hears Midnighter's voice. He goes to Midnighter. Midnighter is dying. He's like, you're not going to die on my watch. And then they zip out of hell. Gregorio throws a really nice welcome back from hell dinner party. What a good friend. And um, yeah. And then Midnighter and Apollo um, together forever. They bang. Yeah, which that's is, how it ends. I like how each, like how this book is bookended by some sweet, sweet lovemaking. I really, it warms my heart. That was an excellent plot description, Lisa. Thank you very much. Why, thank you. Now affirmations, words of affirmation. <laughs> let's get Five love languages. Into the nitty gritty now. Let's do it. Um, I like how in the beginning of the book, it shows them working together after having this breakup. Uh, we talked about secure and functioning relationship. One of the aspects of it is collaboration. But I got to say, those first few pages, really hard to get into while they're battling this sentient train with Is these... the train sentient or is it just full of a bunch of Well, train pirates led train, by Halfbeard. Yeah. They make reference to the train having some sort of consciousness. Yeah, they, they call it the God train. Yeah, the God train. Anyway, I was at a complete loss during most of that battle sequence. Although I got to say, the art uh, by uh, Fernando Blanco, I love how he uses inserts to connect punches. Yeah. It's something that um, uh, Andrea Sorrentino does quite a bit, extremely well in the Green Arrow miniseries. I've always been a fan of inserts to uh, highlight impact. Yeah, that's fun. So I, I dig that. But from a plot standpoint, boy, it took that entire fight and then some before I really understood what was going on. And it turned out after we read the entire volume, we didn't really have to understand what was going on. We just needed to know that they were fighting crime and getting along. That's right. So later, Apollo is hosting a a dinner party for Midnighter's friends. And and we, we experience a conversation that Midnighter is having with his friend, Tony about what Midnighter and Apollo broke up over, which had to do with his fight computer and his tendency to, uh, I oh, guess, does, kill people. Does he have a fight computer in his head? <laughs> yeah. Didn't you read about it on literally every single page? <laughs> every time he meets somebody new, he's like, boy, this fight computer in my head really ruins life for me. In his defense, like if I had a, 
a computer in my head, I would not shut up about it. (laughs) That's probably true. Same, same. I'm not going to argue that. Okay, okay. I'm being mean. I'm being mean. It's comics. Every new issue, you have to pretend that it's the first time that somebody's encountering Midnighter, so they got to learn about the fight computer, and everybody else has to relearn about the fight computer. Mm-hmm. That's just comics, man. Okay, moving on. At this dinner party, we meet um, Midnighter's friend Marina. Maybe they were on a team together. I'm not quite sure, but her her husband has passed away, her husband, Pat, and so she's actually going back to dating, and she's using a dating app for superheroes, which I think is pretty Swipe cool. Swipe left. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can read about the, the perils and lures of online dating in Dr. Stan Tatkin's book, Wired for Dating. Um, but then we get to see the couple bubble at work because Marina casually refers to Midnighter as cynical, and Apollo comes right to his defense saying, you know, like, underneath all of that leather and guns and stuff, like, he's actually, like, a really, like, he really believes and cares about people. Right, right, right. And they do have a conversation later about how they dispatch their opponent, Midnighter, as the Batman of the group, uh, happily brutalizes individuals and most often kills them. And Apollo is asking that he ease back a little bit on that method of uh, of murder. But then, of course, Midnighter's like, look, you kill people too. And he's like, yeah, but it's just a last resort. And da-da. So they're able to have that conversation The conversation together. that broke them up before. Yeah, right. They're, they're able to have that conversation now in the, their own private way. But if somebody else comes in and has a word about that, the other will defend the other, right? So yeah. Apollo will defend Midnighter. Midnighter will defend Apollo. And that's very much like Brad and Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. But I do feel like that this is still because of their recent breakup. I think that this is still a super touchy subject for the both of them, at least at the beginning. Of well, the sure. Book. Midnighter becomes defensive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in true comic book fashion, something epic and uh, unbelievable has to occur to set aside their differences. Right. Right. Apollo has to be murdered by the Mazer. Yeah. <laughs> and right before that is when Bendix and Midnighter have their confrontation and the gauntlet scene occurs. Yeah, so that's where we're at. Yeah, so before Midnighter makes his arrangements to rescue Apollo's dead soul, uh, he goes on a walk with Marina, and Marina tries to relate to him over like, look, I've been there. I have a spouse who has died. You can talk to me. And Midnighter is like, actually, no, he's not dead. I'm going to I'm going to get him back, which I think is pretty cold considering like she's at this place. Her husband has passed away, but she is feeling like ready to move on. And he's like, no, you could have done more. You could have gone to Gregorio and gone to hell just like I'm about to do. Uh, The way I took it is, Midnighter, why didn't you do that for her? Oh, yeah, that's pretty rude. I didn't (laughs) even think about that. You could have done that. Be a friend. Go save a loved one's soul. But maybe Pat was just like a normal dude. So maybe he's like in heaven. And, And I saw... That one time when Buffy Summer was, was pulled from heaven and she was pretty peeved. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to pull anybody from heaven, I guess. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, when Apollo first dies and wakes up in hell, he's not with Neron. He's with Lord Fulcifer? 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 He looks like an anatomical heart and an anatomical butthole got married and had a baby. He has an H.R. Giger kind of quality to him, for sure. But less cute. (laughs) Certainly less phallic, maybe? More vaginal? (laughs) Rude. I'm just saying there's no shaft there, Lisa. It's all whole. It is an awful lot of holes. But the point of that conversation is that he's told by Falsifer. What the heck is his name? Falsifer. Falsifer. Why do I want to keep, why keep calling him Falsifer? I don't know. Whatever. That guy says, look, the wound in your belly, uh, it will heal and it'll heal quicker if you get rid of your memory, if you forget your lover. Just put your past life away, put your romance away, and move on here in hell. And of course, what does Apollo say? Yeah, no, I'm going to blow up your H.R. Giger looking body. Yep, and I'm going to do it while trying to rescue as many people as I can. And he can't do that. He is in hell. All those souls are quite heavy. And then that's where he falls to the feet of Neron and is imprisoned. Right. And Neron basically goes through this whole list of reasons as to why you woke up in hell rather than heaven. Right. He talks about his pride. He talks about, you know, you've murdered a lot of people. And Apollo is like, what could you possibly do to hurt me? And and he goes into his backstory. He came out when he was 12 years old. His father immediately rejected him and sent him out of his house to go live with his aunt. And from there, when he was 13, he was abducted by aliens who tried to turn him into Superman. So, so he comes back with, you think you can break me, Neron? But what I find interesting about this is how it relates to Apollo's, how, uh, how Apollo would attach, like his, his attachment. Because we talked a little bit about how the way you were raised influences how, like we're all, we all have the wiring for a secure and functioning relationship, but trauma in our past. Environment affects us. Exactly. Environment, it, it, it starts making um, counterintuitive defensive mechanisms to that impede bonding. So there are two aspects about his origin that I really found interesting. Mm-hmm. One is here in this book where he says, look, I came out to my dad He was disgusted. And then on top of that, I am mutated by these aliens. And that was just another excuse to for my father to completely reject me as an other, as an outside force, as not human. So if I wasn't human before because of my homosexuality, now I'm an alien homosexual. I'm even less than. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about um, the homosexual, the queer experience um, and how it can be nowadays. It's a sh- it's it acts as a shorthand of I've been through some stuff. I've had a struggle in my life, particularly in how it relates to Queer Eye and how I can bring everything back to Queer Eye season three on Netflix now. But because the f- the fabulous five have all had these this struggle of going through the queer experience. You know, Bobby was disowned by his family. Um, 
there's been bullying, all of that kind of stuff. Whether for them they to experienced come, it through their family's rejection or, or societal rejection. rejection. Yeah. And how they've come out the other side being confident, being well put together, and how that gives them the authority to give solace to others, give um, advice to others. Yeah, authority and armor. Exactly. And and I look forward to the day where um, people who are who are coming out as anywhere on the gender spectrum, anywhere on the gender attraction spectrum, and that not being a shorthand. A, a shorthand for being like, I've had some real adversity thrown at right, me. Right, right. The other aspect to Apollo's origin that's kind of interesting that's not outrightly explained in this particular miniseries is if you go to Wikipedia, Lisa, mm-hmm. and you look into the origins of Midnighter and Apollo, Dr. Bendix directly influenced their abilities. When he, when Bendix was younger, he's the one who came up with the technology that that's implanted in Midnighter's head to give him the, the, the fight skills. And he helped the aliens um, mutate Apollo into the god being that he is. That he is. Oh, that's interesting. Because Doctor Bendix in this miniseries, he's only the catalyst. He's only in those what first two issues, and then it's Neuron. I story. literally forgot about him until I was putting my notes together. Same. Yeah. So, yeah. That's I don't fascinating. Know. But Doctor Stan Tatkin says that one of the our main attractions to another person. If, going down to our primitives is familiarity and they do have that in common. Yeah, yeah, so interesting, interesting. Okay, while all that is going on, Midnighter has just arrived in hell and he is confronting Mazir. Um and he can only be killed by this special instrument, the Ace of Winchesters, mm-hmm. an old Winchester rifle with a pentagram on it. Yeah, that's been made by out of demon bones and stuff. It's all very supernatural CW. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I love it. I love it. But he doesn't have the Ace of Winchesters. That was taken down to hell. But he does have a bullet that he scored off of another demon. That's super fancy. Yeah, that's super fancy and belonged to the Ace of Winchesters. So his idea is he's going to battle it out with Mazir, wrestle the Ace of Winchesters from him, load it with this special bullet, and blow him away. Unfortunately for Midnighter, Mazir is anticipating that. He knows that the Ace of Winchesters is the only thing that can harm him, so he busts up the gun and wah, throws wah. it at his feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Um... Not a big deal for a Midnighter because he's got mad skills. Even without his fighting computer in his brain, he knows that he can fling this bullet super fast at Mazir's skull. But Mazir catches it. Haha, you think you could throw this faster than I could catch it? You fool, this is not the first time I have caught a bullet, says Mazir. And Midnighter goes, Yeah, I know. And then he jumps and headbutts Mazir and the bullet exploding the, the 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 round from its shell and goes right through his brain, killing Mazir. It's a beautiful, grotesque splash page. Maybe my favorite splash page in the entire comic book. And he takes down the demon. Um, before he does that, he does say a sentence that I feel just describes the strength of the couple bubble that exists between Midnighter and Apollo. And that is, no world exists where someone could hurt Apollo and escape me. Do you understand? Yeah. 
Oh, and there's good. there's a couple more lines like that. Yeah, yeah. So he destroys Mazir uh, and then makes his way to Neron. Right. And Apollo has made a deal with Neron and says, okay, if you can answer this one question, you got to set me free. I don't know why demons always fall for that. But the demon's <laughs> like, totally, I live for deals or, or I'm dead for deals. I don't know. Um, but... Uh, Apollo's question is, why do I really call myself Apollo? And Neuron's like, obviously, because you're like the most prideful, vain person on earth and you want to be like a god, but you're not a god. You're just like this tiny human being. You know it to be true, so just give up now. I've answered your question perfectly. And then we don't find out right at that moment that um, he has answered wrongly, but Apollo gives a little smirk of Rooney (laughs) in that last panel on that page. So Midnighter shows up, and it looks like Apollo has been imprisoned in this uh, Petri dish. uh, Like a bottle, like, yeah. like Jasmine at the end of Aladdin. Yes, yes. He looks like Jasmine at the end of Aladdin. And Midnighter has to go punch for punch with Neron. Of course, Neron's a demon. I like Neron because Neron's like, you know, your boyfriend who I defeated, he like made a deal with me. And um, my Midnighter's like, well, I'm not like that. Yeah. I'm going to punch you. I don't deal. I'm going to beat you to death. And, you know, Neron's maybe a little more powerful uh, than Midnighter in this state. And Neron. But Midnighter has that, like, binding spell from Gregorio that's like, okay, at full power, you have seven minutes. So he's using his seven minutes to beat the crap out of Neron. Unfortunately, not enough. And Neron is about to kill Midnighter, and Apollo is watching this from the bottle. He screams, he shatters the bottle, and bursts forth. But that's not really Apollo. That's not Apollo? That's not Apollo, because Apollo was freed when Neron answered his question and was wrong. So this is like just like a projection of Apollo that... Neron is using to torture Midnighter. Because he thinks he's killed Apollo before this moment, but then Apollo is has actually reformed elsewhere? No, Neron is lying. Yeah, I know Neron's lying in this moment, but Neron thinks that he won. No, Neron never thought that he won. Neron, so Neron knows that he's lost at this point? Yeah, he knows oh. that Apollo mm-hmm. defeated him. And, Hold on. But he just thinks that... He just thinks that Apollo is just like he's just bouncing around hell. He thinks that mid, that he that Apollo won't be able to hear what's going on. And then Apollo comes back and is like, "You you think that I you you yeah. keep my lover like I'm not going to hear my lover's voice from anywhere?" Hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to look at this. Okay. <laughs> okay, and we're back <laughs> right at the end of the episode. Yeah, no, Lisa's right. I was wrong. Totally confused. Thanks, Lisa. You're welcome. Now, Brad, summarize what you learned. Let's see if I've got this right, Lisa. Okay. Midnighter shows up to Neron. He thinks he sees Apollo in the bottle like, like Jasmine, Jasmine yeah. at the mm-hmm, end of Aladdin. Mm-hmm. But that is a creation by Neron. Yeah, it's a lie. It's a lie. It appears that while Midnighter is taking his last breaths, that Apollo breaks forth from the bottle, cuddles him. But no, it turns out Neron's messing with him. Right. And and he he fades mm -hmm. away from existence. And he says that Apollo was gone before you even stepped into this castle. Which is true, but he but not gone like no more soul. He's just gone from that place. Right. And Apollo is wandering around hell trying to figure out how to get out of here. And it's so vast and massive that he's a bit lost, but he hears Midnighter dying. Because that is the strength of their couple bubble, the their love. 
and he returns to Neron's castle for one last showdown. That's what actually happens, Brad. Yay! So Apollo is zipping back. Neron is finishing his um, nemesis speech. He's as, monologuing. As they are wont to do. And his last line is, evil wins. And then you flip the page, and you can hear me flip the page in the mic. Sorry, Brad. And, he's, and <laughs> Apollo punches him and says, not today, a-hole. But he says the words, because... Because Brad likes us to be a, a swear-free yeah, podcast yeah, for children. Are. We super are. Because we were talking <laughs> about Mr. Sassafras. What's that alien's name? Fursifer. Demon? Fursifer. Fursifer. Uh, yeah. And his vagina face. Oh. <laughs> okay, yes. So not today, a-hole. And then the most romantic line ever. Did you think there was anywhere I wouldn't hear his voice? And, and uh, Apollo takes down Neron. And, yep, uh, and then it's just Apollo and Midnighter versus all of the demons of hell. And all their necks are constantly breaking, and we get all those uh, Blanco inserts again. And did you catch the return of Halfbeard? Oh, I caught the return of Halfbeard. And then there's a demon who looks just like Midnighter. Yep, and he has to battle himself, like like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah, it's Nega, it's Nega, uh, near, not Nega Neuron, Nega, Nega Midnighter. Midnighter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yay. Fun. Not alliterative, but true. <laughs> okay, let's get this wrapped up, Lisa. Oh, but then, like, um, so he's he's battling himself, and Apollo just, go, like, zaps the Nega Midnighter. Nega Midnighter. And Midnighter was like, how did you know which one was me? And he was like, you think I wouldn't recognize the back of your head? Super sexy. Mm-hmm. They are so close. You know why he recognizes the back of his head, right? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Yay, I get to teach you things too, Lisa. That's fun. Okay. They get out of hell. Big time smoochies. Um, Gregorio invites everybody to Peru and has a dinner party. Bitter Dinner party bookends. Begins with a dinner party. Ends with a dinner party. Mm-hmm. And um, we get to meet uh, Gregoria's lover, who is a, a it's werewolf. not a lycanthrope. He calls him a theranthrope. Theranthrope. Yeah, I think he's basically a werewolf. And Tony's like, I dated an equestrian one time. Yeah, equus. <laughs> All right, and the end. That's that's pretty much it. It's Midnighter and Apollo together. Um, the there, party has ended. There is one more really important conversation. Yeah, okay, okay. So they're back in Midnighter's apartment, and Midnighter goes like, you know, Apollo, there's something I have to tell you. We went to hell together. I was ready to die for you, and... um. Before we had this disagreement about how enthusiastic I should be about killing people. And what I've learned from this experience is that I'm always going to be super in to killing people. And then Apollo says, like, you know what? I'm never going to believe that Mm. killing people is the first resort. I, I'm always going to look on the bright side. I'm always going to look on the more hopeful side. But for them, like, he, and it ends with um, Apollo saying, you and anyone else in the world who thinks they've fallen too far, I'll always pull them back to the light. 
And so it ends with them going like, you know, this conversation that destroyed our relationship before, well, we still agree to disagree and that's fine. Their couple bubble is still safe. Their relationship is secure and functioning, even with them not seeing eye to eye on everything. And that's really important. And so that's a, a scene where, it, it, you know, I agree. It is effective for these six issues. But I feel like if I had the context of the New 52 Midnighter books and all that Wildstorm, Warren Ellis, Garth Ennis stuff, I feel like that would be a major emotional moment. And I and for that fan, I feel like that's a real uh, passionate and lovely end to their story. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I, well, I know for a fact that Apollo and Midnighter appear uh, when Warren Ellis comes back to DC Comics and sort of does a Wildstorm reboot, um, which I'm curious to read. But I, I just I wish that had more impact for me. I wish I had a better understanding of these characters, and I am curious to go back and at least read the Orlando stuff, if not all of the Authority backstory. Yeah, even though it was kind of hard for me to get into this book, just because I was so clueless. And the pirates, I thought that they were going to be a huge thing. Turns out they weren't. Um, I really ended up appreciating these characters and this idea that they have this relationship that started probably with infatuation, attraction because of their familiarity. But their, their relationship has been through a lot and they can still manage to stay together, have their differences, and yet still lay everything on the line for each other. I think it's beautiful. And it highlights the fact that you don't see any real LGBTQ plus relationships in mainstream comics. Yeah. It really does feel very different and unique. That last page where it's Apollo closing the door and Midnighter's taking his shirt off. Mm-hmm. Yep, like yep. That, that is a scene that you would see with Batman and Catwoman and Scott and Jean and, and Marco and Alana. But w- I have never encountered a relationship, uh, a homosexual relationship like this one in mainstream spandex comics. And it's so Casual, like not, not that that it's a casual relationship. It's a super serious relationship. But the way it's handled, it's, it's not treated like this is the special North Star coming out issue, or this is the special North Star wedding issue. Yeah, this is like this is how their life is. This is just this, life this is a relationship them. within superhero dynamics, and it feels extremely fresh and 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 interesting. But I don't want it to. As we saw in Bloom, the character's sexuality is not the focus. Right. Right. It's just a love story. It's just a love story. And that's super cool. And I want more of that. Absolutely. Well, Brad, I think it's time to end our session with Midnighter and Apollo. Now that they're in a secure and functioning relationship and together forever drama free. And is there anything that we can apply from this book to our relationship? Yeah, I, I think that the couple bubble is something that evolves and changes as the people in a couple grow. And I think that if you are feeling insecure in one way or another, you have to express that with your partner. But also, 
you should always be looking for opportunities to remind your partner of the security of the couple bubble by going out of your way for them. Be that um, like going into hell and pulling them out by your teeth or um, when you're in a social situation and someone nags your partner that you call them out on it and, and you're at their defense at all times. Uh, I, you know, I agree with that, Lisa. I think w- where I come down on this book is it starts with this disagreement that once upon a time shattered but their relationship. That seems fundamental, That's, like to who they are. Th- that seems fundamental who, to who they are. And it ends with them not necessarily resolving that issue, but they are aware of their fundamental difference. They acknowledge that their partner's point of view and they can they can just let it be for now. And that that isn't as important as their relationship. Their relationship is their primary concern and any other differences are secondary. Right, right, right. You know, it's pretty extreme. They do live in the superhero world. It involves murder of humans. <laughs> and yeah, you can't really be on two sides of that. Not in the Brad-Lisa relationship, FYI, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't be like, yeah, we agree that um, killing people is part of my life's work, but I shouldn't be so excited about it. Yeah, yeah. No, that that would that would be a bigger issue for us than it is for Midnighter <laughs> and Apollo. But there you have it. Okay, so next week, Lisa. Next week, our book is going to be, drumroll please, as I scroll to that part of our outline, On a Sunbeam. You read this this week, and you were like head over your heels in love with this book. Yeah, it's a massive epic of a comic. It is a full-blown graphic novel. Uh, I think it's 500 plus pages, mm-hmm. so you better start reading now. It's Lisa. fat. It's, it's one a, big yeah, fat book. It's a big fat book. It's from First Seconds Publishers, the same folks that put out Bloom, so we're returning to them. The uh, writer and artist is Tilly Walden, who also did the book Spinning for mm-hmm. First Second, which was a huge critically acclaimed story. Which we also have not read. We haven't read that, not yet, um, but I want to. Yay. And I certainly want to after having read On a Sunbeam. It jumped out at me. We recently went to Third Eye Comics and it was on a display and there's there's Brian K. Vaughn's quote on the front. And I was like, oh, I like Brian K. Vaughn. What does he have to say? Not only was it on a display, but it was on a display that was exclusively LGBT plus books, uh, which was, is super cool. Yeah, with a uh, focus on women because it was a Women's History Month That's right. book. Uh, and so I, I picked it up. It looked interesting. I love it. It's a massive sci-fi universe story that uh, involves a team of... of um, Explorers who go about the galaxy rebuilding structures that have collapsed. And there's a new team member named Mia on the group. And she is dealing with this painful past history with a high school romance with a girl named Grace. And that's all I'll say, Lisa. Okay. I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. I'm so so excited for me. Yeah. So, Lisa, I'm looking forward to you reading it. I'm looking forward to our listeners reading it. And, yeah, join us back next week. Okie dokie, Lisa. It's that time of the episode. Oh, no, it's over. It's over. But 
Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you, Brad? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. This weekend, Lisa and myself are at the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester, and we're experiencing a ton of great movies as part of the Lost Weekend film. So hit up our Instagram, check out what we watched, follow us on Twitter, check out what we think of all these advanced screenings. It's actually already in the past as you're listening to this, so hopefully we saw a bunch. (gasps) We may have spoken to Emilio Estevez. What, what? We definitely did. We did. Tune in to the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast at It Modcast to listen to that interview. And yeah, follow us at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And commit to us by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. And give us the gift of five stars on iTunes with a nice little review. Yeah. All right. Until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.